20-year reunion. We're back. I'm David Rausch. I'm Policy Fuentes. Excellent. We've had another little bit of a hiatus. I just don't want it to end, so we're just, you know, stretching out the last few few episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it allows some people to catch up. Like, I think there were people who went to the reunion who didn't know that we had a podcast. There you go. For example, someone just reached out to me yesterday, John Girag. Oh. And he just said he finally got his ears on the podcast, and he wanted to say thank you. There you go. Nice. Dave, how's your past month been? Fantastic. Except I got a speeding ticket. And this is my first speeding ticket. Oh, wow. Which is crazy if you think about how long we've been driving. I, have you had tickets? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got, I've I feel got... like I should have prior yeah. to now, but mm-hmm. somehow I've avoided it. But my streak has ended. How far were you going? It was only it was 69 and a 55. So nothing okay. too crazy. Okay. Yeah. I've, I, the first time I got pulled over was in high school. Okay. It was summer. So we had just played Hinsdale Central in soccer and okay. i had an amazing game as a goalie yeah so i was driving on 83 route 83 coming back okay and there is this spot that the speed limit drops suddenly it goes from like from like 55 to 45 okay. Or, okay. And it's just, i mean it's a speed zone because yeah. you're coming into oakbrook and like the mall and stuff like that and they don't want you going that fast right so i think i was going like 70 okay and then it jumped on the 40 i think it was 55 to 40 and so I was still going to 70 and the 40. And so I come at the stoplight and the cop comes up right behind me. And I hate driving with the cop behind me. I just don't like it. So I moved over to the, a lane and then he moved over like <laughs> at the light. He moved over behind me. I was like, uh-oh. uh-huh. light turns green immediately. The sure. lights flash on. I turn over. I'd actually lost my license. And so he comes over and license registration. I was like, sorry, officer. I left my license at home. He's like, oh, okay, well, where do you live? I'll, I'll follow you there and we'll go get the license. I was like, actually, officer, I lied. I lost my license. <laughs> so like, I'm going 70 and a 40. I uh-huh. lied to him. I don't have my license. Like, I've lost it. So I give him my registration mm-hmm. and he is like fuming mad at me by this point. Goes to the back and like, while I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm done. I'm, it's over. And as I was sitting there, all of a sudden I see all these other cop lights coming from behind, I see one, and I see one coming up from ahead, coming towards me on 83, and I'm okay. like, uh, what is going, like, freaking out. Uh-huh. But all of a sudden, they start turning into Oprah, and then I see the guy get out of his car, he slams his door, he throws my registration and my insurance, like, back in the car, and he says, get out of here, it's your lucky day, there's something happened in the mall, you know, all of us have to go there or whatever. Wow. But no ticket, so that's great. No ticket. Anyway, who are we talking to? Jessica. Yes. Yeah. This is a great... I think this is a great one. This is one that someone who reached out to us. Yeah. It was a good opportunity to talk to someone from a group where I didn't have many direct connections and mm-hmm. we hadn't really had represented in our series of interviews so far. So yeah, it was really appreciative that she reached out. Yeah, that was great. Perfect. I would love to maybe talk a little bit more with you about tickets. And driving maybe we can get another <laughs> five to ten minutes of maybe we can do a whole that'll be our second podcast the, the spin-off <laughs> tickets with paul and dave all right should we roll it let's get into this episode let's just roll it do it all right jessica how are you i'm doing well 
Doing very well. Awesome. So you know how it works. We start by going back to Willbrook. So let's let's do that. Describe yourself when you were in high school. Honestly, I, I'd say I was probably an outsider. I hung out in a fairly large group of friends, but we were all considered slightly outsiders. We were all a part of a group that were called dirties in high school. I remember that term. Yeah, it was definitely used. And I think that that term was mainly just to describe kids that were goth or enjoyed alternative bands and weren't really involved in school activities and just kind of hung out really outside of school mostly. Okay. That's the group I was considered in, but but I was one of the kids that I was just kind of friends with everybody. My mantra was always, if you're cool with me, I'm cool with you. And I was actually not really involved too much in school, but I was in choir. And I say you're in choir. Yeah. I loved choir. I made it up to being advanced choir our senior year. Music has always been my thing. I just, I love it. But most of my activities that I hung out and did was a lot of after school. Like on Thursdays, me and my friends would go to the coffee house and the funky Java on St. Charles. And, you know, like that was what we did. We'd have open mic nights and we'd read poetry and um, until we got kicked out of there. (laughs) Why did you get kicked out? We got kicked out a few times. You know, we were just stupid high school kids, honestly. Sometimes we get a little too rowdy and, you know, Larry, the owner of the coffee house. Back then we were really upset when he'd kick us out. But now, like looking back, I'm like, I completely understand why. We were we were being annoying teenagers, you know. <laughs> He's like, get out of my coffee house. I mean, no no other customers are gonna come in when they saw twenty, you know, twenty-five teenagers acting like teenagers, you know. But it's funny because after a while, if we get kicked out, we would just walk over to Lions Park and hang out there until the cops came and kicked us out of there. And then we'd go back to the coffee house. Okay. We all loved poetry. Most of us were writers. So if we couldn't read our poetry at the open mic night, we'd go to Lions Park. We'd find a picnic bench and read our poetry to each other. That's just something that we all love doing. Who are some of those friends, Jessica? Oh, gosh. Mikey LaFontaine, Joe Tewell, who I'm still very good friends with, Crystal Capel, Brittany Matthews, Dan Escalera, Eric Notoris, Kevin McParlin, Cheryl Brock. Well, her name was Cheryl Philipski back then. And we were all in different grades, too. I hung out with a lot of kids that graduated before us, some kids that graduated after us. How did you find each other? If you think back to it, did you think there's any reason why that group kind of was able to? span multiple grades? Because I feel like we were all in the same boat. We were all kind of looked down upon. I remember an in particular memory I have. I was walking from lunch out to the foyer to go to hang out with my friends. And a group of kids started throwing quarters and pennies and nickels at me and call it saying dirty and goth or freak or whatever they would say. Mm. And I just flicked them off is what I did. But then I, <laughs> I ended up picking up all the change that they threw because they were throwing quarters. And so I, I picked up all the change and me and Mikey 
we walked back to the the cafeteria to where the candy machines were and bought ourselves a bunch of candy with it. Then when we walked back past them, we're like, thanks, guys. (laughs) So, But even faculty weren't even that great to us. I got sent under the deans one time because a friend of mine worked at the Jewel on St. Charles. And he brought a bunch of jewel stickers, you know, the ones they put on top of milk jugs. The orange ones, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he just handed them out to all of us. And we were putting them on our shirts, and a couple people put them on their backpacks. And uh, I remember one of the deans came down and said, you guys can't wear those. And I said, why? And he's like, because it'd be a distraction to everybody else. And I and I was like, how, how was wearing a jewel sticker on my shirt a distraction? And then because I was arguing back, he asked me to come down to the deans and I ended up getting in trouble. But I feel like the reason why we all became very close, because we were looked down upon, because we were getting called names a lot in the hallway, because we had kind of a hard time in high school. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. We were each other's backbone. We were there to stick up for each other. We all became very, very close because of it. Because if somebody got made fun of, we'd be there to stick up for them. It's a lot harder to to pick on a really large group than to, to single everybody out. And so I think that's the reason why. And I think that that's the reason why to this day, we're all still, most of us are very good friends. If you think of yourself in middle school, was this something that was on your radar? Like, this is a group of people I already hang out with. It's a group of people I want to hang out with. Or was it something that, like, as you were at Woolabrook, you kind of found these people? In eighth grade, I was a huge Beatles fan. And I became very good friends with Amy Brinken, Valerie Essrick, Sharon Eliason. Three people I'm still very good friends with. Yeah. But I kind of started to change. My musical taste started to change. And I really started to listen to um, bands that even most of my friends in high school didn't listen to, but it's because I grew up and even my family listened to um, bands like Bauhaus and, you know, Sex Pistols and The Clash. It's kind of how I found this group of people because I realized that they were also into similar bands. They dressed similarly, a lot of black, a lot of makeup and fishnet tights to school, you know, just all this different. They, they looked, they looked like people that I would be like, okay, I can hang out with those people. I remember my freshman year, I had a reading class and I was in class with Steven Schlotman, Lisa Modolowski and Ben Vickers. And it was actually Ben Vickers that told me about the dirties. And he told me about, Hey, we're going, we go to a coffee house every Thursday. You should come up and meet everybody. And he told that to me and Lisa and we're like, Oh, okay. You know, and I just started becoming friends with Lisa and I was like, well, maybe we'll check it out. And we ended up checking it out. And honestly, that's how I just got to know everybody. So I just fell into it really. You mentioned the term outsider a couple of times referring to sort of you and the group. Did you lean into or like the sort of, we've got this tight group and being a little mysterious compared to, you know, not everyone knows what's going on, you know, over there in the foyer. Was that part of the fun of it? Or if you could have changed things, would you have rather been more open with everybody and not had that sort of like separate group? To me, I think that some of the people that I hung out with would 
say that, no, they kind of enjoyed being mysterious and like, you know, oh, well, we're, we're loners, but that kind of makes us, you know, slightly cool and, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I... I was never really like that, though. I, you know, I mean, I was kind of in between. I thought, okay, well, you know, this is our group of friends. But I was, what I also loved about our group of friends is I thought we were very inclusive, actually. We took in everybody. We had some kids that just felt socially awkward, but they weren't really, they didn't really listen to the music we listened to. They didn't like wear black all the time or they didn't, you know, dress any differently than anybody else. But they just didn't have a lot of friends and they just didn't know where to turn. And so sometimes they would come and sit with us because they're like, well, these people aren't going <laughs> to, they, they're not going to make fun of, you know, and they just, they just became our friends. I remember when the Columbine shootings happened. It's exactly what I was going to say, Dave. I'm not, uh, just, yeah. And so for me, that was a really impactful time, probably for all of us, right? In high school, you're kind of picturing you're replaying the scenes in your head as, you know, through your own hallways and through Willowbrook and thinking about it that way. Um, but I remember those two people in, in the incident being the, the trench coat mafia and hearing parallels, right. Of that kind of the dirties, as you, as you said, like being the equivalent um, sort of social group within Willowbrook. Do you remember that? Did you feel that connection? Not meaning like from other people where they were trying to make that connection and, and did that impact you or the group? It did. I personally wasn't as affected by it, but I was certainly affected. Um, I actually had this um, faculty tell me that I, because I had a long leather black coat um, and they told me I couldn't wear it to school anymore. And yeah. I wow. I had to have my parents say, uh, well, that's her only winter coat. So we're not going to go out and buy her a new yeah, winter it's coat. Leather. We're not buying her another one. <laughs> wearing that. Right, right. So they, they eventually folded. They had to let me wear it, but they thought that by me wearing it, I would have, you know, scared the other students somehow or because it was a very traumatic experience, really collectively for us all to have to live through. Right. I had one friend that was the school actually asked him not to come to school for the next two days because there was a rumor going around the school that this in particular friend had planned on bombing the school or doing something bad to the school. And they asked him not to come in, um, which I thought was honestly not a great decision because by him not being there, I thought that that would almost perpetuate that rumor. <laughs> um, I don't know if I remember that specific rumor, but I remember a, a rumor of a, of a bomb at, at Willowbrook. Hmm. It affected us personally i wasn't the only one that was asked not to wear a coat to school as you know they questioned a couple of my friends is this something that you agree with is this something and it's like no i mean i know that none of us were we were all traumatized by it yeah we also knew seeing it that this is probably something was we'd have back it backlash it'd come back to us and honestly it, it it wasn't as much the other students. Again, it was just faculty, but a little bit, a little bit of the student body, because it was the first time that instead of kids kind of like making fun of us, they almost looked at us like fearful. And that's, that's something that I would never, ever had wanted that. And I don't think any of my friends would have ever wanted that either. Like, you know, <laughs> we're nice people. We don't want anybody to 
be afraid of us. Jessica, there's a little bit of a turn here. You talked a lot about some frustrations with faculty and teachers. You were there for four years. Was there any faculty that like you were like, yeah, I have a positive memory of a faculty because of this teacher? Absolutely. You know, I don't want to make this sound like I didn't like anybody. Sorry. <laughs> Looking back, Mr. White loved him. He was funny and interesting. And I just, I loved his class and he was always so good to me. For American history, I had Mr. Peach. He was the one that made me want to be a history teacher, something that never happened. And he was a huge Bauhaus fan. My English teacher that I had sophomore year and junior year, Mrs. McElroy. Yes. Yeah. I loved her. She was, she was such a great teacher. She was just so sweet to me to the point that my last day of senior year, I went down to her class and, and in front of her class, I thanked her for being just an awesome influence in my life. And I made her cry in front of her class, which I felt bad, but oh, she was no, great. That's, great. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Any regrets from high school? I would say one of my main regrets is I, I screwed around a lot, especially freshman year, and I kind of didn't focus as much on school as I should have. It got better by junior and senior year. But I think I would have probably paid more attention to school <laughs> and not, you know, been so focused on my social life. So that's fair. <laughs> so you were graduating you're getting to move on for the rest of your life. Where did you think life would take you or what were kind of your goals at that time? My goal at that time, I, I wanted to be a high school history teacher. And I went to COD with that was my goal. Now, it didn't work out. I, I went to COD for about two years, but I was also working full time um, to pay my way through school. So I worked at the Olive Garden in uh, Downers Grove, the one on Butterfield. Mm -hmm. And I worked and took all my tips and I would take that to the cash office. And that's how I paid through COD. So I never took out any student loans or anything. But when I was at Olive Garden, I met my ex-husband and we were together for about a year and a half before we got married. And he was in the Air Force. So he went down to San Antonio for boot camp and I went down to his graduation for boot camp and we got married in San Antonio. And then I actually went down to San Antonio and I lived there while he was in tech school. I was in San Antonio for about three months. The worst three months you could be in San Antonio. I moved down in June and we moved out in September. <laughs> so it oh, was... Wow really, really hot. And then while I was down there um, is when I got pregnant with my first son. Okay. But then he ended up getting stationed in Great Falls, Montana. So I moved in September of 2004. I think it was, had the privilege of living there for almost two years. Okay. I only lived there for two years and before I ended up leaving my ex-husband, but I give a lot of props to military wives and the sacrifices that they make. My ex-husband did end up going overseas and was stationed in Kyrgyzstan during the war on terror. And it was some tough times. Hmm. 
is I had just had Gabe when um, my first son, when he was deployed. So I had come home for uh, a while while he was deployed, but then I went back and um, yeah, it was uh, an experience, but it was, it was tough. I'm sure. Do you feel like that is that sort of what kind of pushed you guys apart was being apart so much that you couldn't really build that stronger relationship as a couple? I'd say so. I mean, it was, it was that, I think it, it was a lot of things, you know, when you're young, barely, I was just barely 21. And, you know, you, you make very quick decisions sometimes and without even really thinking, you know, you're, you're thinking with your heart a lot. Mm. And I just don't think we took the time to really get to know each other before we got married. Mm. And we just, we weren't compatible really at all. And, um, yeah, so, so I, I left and I moved back home. Okay. I moved back here and I, I moved in with my mom briefly, um, just to get a, to get a job and to save up enough money to move out on my own. And I did. What job did you get? I worked at Jennifer Convertibles. So I sold sofa beds and made commission and, you know, again, saved up quite a bit of money doing that. How did you find a job in selling sofa beds? What <laughs> were you looking for that market? You're just like, this is what I, I really want to move some sofa beds. <laughs> no. Well, I, I had a lot of retail experience. I got my first job when I was 16 years old. Retail was just something that I kept going back to. And so I was just applying for random retail jobs and it fell on my lap. And I will say it's not the easiest job. Furniture is not an easy sell. Um, yeah. No, that's why I was like <laughs> curious what drew you to that. Were you good at it? I would say I wasn't bad, but I, that is where you I looked, met my You husband. looked around. Why did you look, why did you just look around? <laughs> you looked, you looked around if someone was listening. To because that my, my, because my husband's in the same room. My husband was my boss <laughs> when I worked. Oh, okay. And that's, that's where we met. Uh, and he would say, well, she tried her best, but he, I don't think he would say that I was the best. <laughs> he, he was always on me about selling air mattresses and sheets and all these add-ons you were supposed to add, you know, sell. And I, I wasn't the best at that. So he would laugh at me. I'm going to take your word for it, Jessica. I'm going to take your yeah. first answer. You were good. Yeah, I was absolutely. Good. I was really we're good. Interviewing, we're interviewing you, not him. So exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll take your word. <laughs> so I did that for a little while and... I was able to take my retail experience uh, to another level, and I became a partner business manager of Toomey Oakbrook. So I basically ran my own uh, luggage department in Marshall Fields, well, what is now Macy's. I think I also did that because I realized that, you know, after me and uh, Ryan, we started dating, I was like, I don't know if I want to <laughs> constantly be around each other, right, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he doesn't always value how well you sell those sofa beds too. So like <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't. But I just hopped between different retail management positions, but I would always go back to the restaurant business. Like that's what I loved. What kept drawing you back? What did you love about it? Or what do you love about it? The adrenaline rush. <laughs> Honestly, it's always busy. There's always something to do. You're constantly working one-on-one -on -one with 
a huge team to make everything run smoothly. Right now, I'm training to be a manager at uh, Cracker Barrel, um, which is a, you know, it's going to sound funny when I say it is my dream job, but it is. I've been wanting to work at the Cracker Barrel since I was a kid. How many stars do you have? I'm four, four stars. <laughs> so I'm I'm really a fill-in manager when they need to one. I still serve. I work on the grill. I work in backup. I work every in every position, um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Can we dig in? Like from a kid, you knew. Like, what was it about about Cracker Barrel? Well, as a kid, it was just that I, you know. I had a lot of memories there. It was one of my dad's favorite restaurants. We would we would go there all the time. So it was just like this nostalgic memory. Mm-hmm. And then now that I work for the company, it's just a great company to work for. I love all of my coworkers. We call each other the Cracker Barrel family, and that's how I think about them. I mean, we got our good days, we got our bad days, but that's every job. Sure. Just a story yesterday. I was at work and we were short-staffed. We had four servers on, but we ended up having a party of 30 that came in. Yeah, Cracker Barrel can take a big party. Yeah, and they were like, you know, what are we going to do? And we just started to get busy and our four, the four servers that we had were already busy. And so my manager asked me, Jessica, can you jump in, take this party of 30 by yourself? And I'm like, <laughs> um... Yeah, I ended up taking it with one of my employees and we we rocked it. <laughs> so when I have people that come up to me and say, you made my experience awesome, like you, I mean, this is a tour bus from Georgia. They had driven all the way up here from Atlanta. Just to go to Cracker Barrel, right? Absolutely. They they passed up all the Cracker Barrels on the way just to get up cars. <laughs> I think that's the other reason why I love my job is I meet people from all over the place and I I get to talk to a whole bunch of people and it's really neat. To me, I think I'm blessed to go to a a job that I wake up in the morning. I'm like pretty happy to go to work. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Jessica, it sounds like you're a great person to have on your team or part of your friend group. I mean, I, I just, it's so great hearing you describe the people that you work with in so, so much of a similar way of your friend group in high school. Right. Like that, that, that family, we're close, we're connected. We got each other's backs. And so I definitely see that, that, that connection there. And I'm guessing any situation you kind of are in, you kind of see the world that way. Right. I think that's once again, just another sign that like you keep people close to you, right? Like keep people as, as a family and growing with that. But can you talk a little bit more about your family? Yeah. Me and my husband, we've been together now for 16 years, and we've been married for eight. My husband stepped in and became Gabriel's father and has raised him since Gabriel was one. And then we've got two beautiful girls. My middle child, Grace, is 13. She's in eighth grade. And then my youngest is 11. She's in sixth grade. And then, yeah, my son now is 16. So he's learning how to drive and we're going through all of that. Right, right. Really, that's, that's my life right there is is my family. That's your crew. That's my crew. And that's who I am 
dedicated to. That's why, you know, when I, when I work as hard as I do, I mean, that's the reason why it's, it's for them. Every, everything that I do is for them. So you've got kids in high school or one in high school and, and uh, two more, which will be there before you know it. Mm-hmm. How do you parent high schoolers? What's your, <laughs> what, are, what are your tips, tricks? Give us some, some insight here. Gosh, I, honestly, I'm still learning. <laughs> I think with, I think with all kids, that's what you do. It's, it's a, learning process. But for me, it's, I think it's really important to listen to them, you know, to take that time to listen to what they're going through. Cause it, between junior high and high school, that's such like a volatile age and you're changing constantly. Right. And I think as a parent, you need to spend time listening to to the issues that they're having and, you know, what, what they're going through, how are they feeling emotionally, mentally, and, you know, but also just being there to support them. That's good. How old were you when you started to think of yourself as an adult? (sighs) Do I even now? No, No, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, when I had my son, honestly, that, that makes you grow up super, super quick. And you realize all those things that you kind of wanted for yourself. Um, now it's really, you're doing it for them. You, you know, it's not, it's not as much for yourself anymore. I think that's a fascinating answer because you pinned it to kind of having your son and the outlook changing on sort of, you are now responsible for someone. You are not the center of your own, in your own universe, but you were already married by that point. So you, you skipped marriage as the, the transition to adulthood and went to, to your son. Yeah. Well, like I said, like me and my ex-husband weren't together for very long. I think we were both kids. And even though he was older, he never really grew up. (laughs) So I think that that would, that that had something to do with it. So I I had to step up. I had to be the the parent that was going to say, Hey, it's, it's now time to grow up. Love it. Do you have any daily habits or routines that you do? Um, other than work, which to me right now is my daily habit, That's it. My okay. daily habit. I would say, um, you know, what I do to unwind is I come home, I talk to my husband, listen to music. I still, music is a big part of my life. Who are we listening to, Jessica? Earlier, we were listening to Soundgarden and then we had Franz Ferdinand on for a little while. Okay. But we've recently become really into uh, vinyl. So we've been collecting a lot of vinyl records. So we're kind of trying to teach our kids as well, the, the love for, for vinyl, the love for actual music that you can see and hold and, and play. And All right. Yeah. Love it. What are you afraid of? Oh, gosh. For me, it's like always kind of putting yourself into the future, all the stuff that might happen. I think a, a lot of times we always think, what if, what if, what if, what if? I, I know that I do. But really, I'm trying to learn not to fear much. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I would really say is being afraid of something bad happening to my family. But I've been blessed thus far for, you know, my kids being healthy and happy. But I think there's always that fear of what might happen. Right. You said you're working on not fearing as much. What's your strategy there? I would say just meditation, <laughs> really. Okay. 
I do have anxiety issues. I think anxiety is something that a lot of people have. And for me, it's something I've struggled with actually for most of my life. So for me, it's just breathing techniques and meditation and prayer, I think helps. And then just learning, learning how to take things day by day. It's good. Yeah. I think that's something we all could use. <laughs> it's learning, right, right. Mm-hmm. learning how to relax. What do you think your 18-year-old self would think of your current self? If you guys met each other, what, what would you think? <laughs> Honestly, I think I'd probably be surprised. Okay. I'll come. <laughs> because I, you know, at the time I had, I felt at 18 and I, maybe I think that a lot of us are like this 18, like you think, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to do. You know, my plan is I'm going to go to COD for two years. I'm going to go get my general studies done. And then I'm going to transfer here. I'm going to live in the city. I had my whole 20s planned out. Mm -hmm. And I think if my 18-year-old self met me now, it'd be like, really? That doesn't happen? Because I was so steadfast on that happening. Mm -hmm. But I think once I sat down with my 18-year-old self and said, you know, it doesn't happen, you're going to go through some hard times and you're going to go through some great times. But in the long run, I tell my 18-year-old self to look around Look at your kids. Look how happy they are. Even though it didn't turn out as you were, you have it planned right now, it still turned out pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I think that's now, what I would tell my my eighteen year old self. Would there be a piece of advice that your current self would give to your eighteen year old self? I don't know if either of you have seen the movie Waking Life. It came out in two thousand one. One of my all time favorite movies. But in that movie, it says we all turn into different people about every seven years. And it's something that I kind of agree with because we're all, our goals change throughout life, like, and how we see ourselves changes all the time. And we might want to do something that we never thought we'd want to do five years ago, two years ago. So I would definitely say, don't be so sure of yourself. And to listen to, you know, like I said about listening, you know, listening to your kids, I tell them, tell myself, listen to people, listen to their stories, listen, you learn a lot. I'd also tell myself to spend a lot more time with my grandparents. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Is there anything that we haven't covered or talked about that you want to? I don't think so. I mean, I think that I kind of said what I wanted to say. I wanted to give you guys a piece of me. I wanted to give everybody this listening just a piece of who I am and also my thoughts on on what it's like to be pushing 40. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, we're all doing. I'm only 34 right now. Yeah. So <laughs> interesting how you guys are pushing 40. Interesting. Are we middle-aged? We have to be. Oh, no. No. My wife and I got into this earlier this evening. I made a reference to her middle. I'm I'm just your middle aged husband, and she's like, "You're not middle aged." I'm like, <laughs> if "I'm not middle aged. What is middle aged?" Yeah. And she's like, "Fifty. You got to be fifty. I was like, "Okay, I think we're moving the goalposts here, but whatever." Does <laughs> middle age start? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just gonna probably cut this, but in case you're curious. The quick answer that Google pulls in, which I'd have to read more context, but it's from Google or it's from no, Wikipedia. No, no context necessary. <laughs> says 
though the exact range is disputed, most sources place middle adulthood between the ages of 45 and 65. So I think your wife was right. Let's live it up. We got, we got six We're more cut, years. As you said, you're going to cut this. I'm actually not let's because cut. this is great news. <laughs> let's, cut, let's, cut, let's cut this part. With, you can just cut the wife is right part. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited to find out I'm not middle-aged yet. This is, this is going to be the most exciting episode of 20-year reunion. Oh, Jessica, you were great. Don't, I don't want to take away from that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, no. That's, I meant because of Jessica and this oh. is like a cherry on top. So you actually reached out to us, which was pretty cool because we haven't had too many people raising their hands. And it's been a pretty unscientific way that we've found people to interview. As you were naming people in your friend group, I'm going to be honest, I didn't recognize all those names. And so as you're doing, I was like, this is great because when Paul and I started, part of the goal was to be as inclusive as possible and get people from different groups. So I feel like you've unlocked a new area for us. And so I really appreciate you reaching out and giving that perspective. So let me say it again. Thank you very much for doing this. I really enjoyed it. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 